You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Now that heart is beating fast, and that's the rhythm I can dance to. I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to, that one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick old trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble on the drum and kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum and kick all trouble out the door. Kick him 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 out the door. Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast, so if nature calls, there's a police raid, don't worry. The program is podcast. Go to 3CR forward slash Radical Australia and the world's greatest producer, Kelly Whitworth, will have had hundreds of interviews there for you to listen and put you to sleep. We have a very special guest today. What is that noise? It's a bit of wind in the studio. Wind. Ooh. <laughs> it precedes our wonderful guest, all mysterious-like. Well, she's just past wind. Is that what you're no, suggesting? No, no. She's carried by wind into the 3CR studio. Uh, Thank you, Kelly. Uh, uh, how many magic mushrooms did you have for lunch, <laughs> Kelly? <laughs> I, I think there was something in that soft drink I just drank. <laughs> yeah, I would be surprised. I mean, a healthy person like you, I can't believe it. Now, Sally Gibson, it is an honour, a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Joe. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions, and obviously you'll give me a difficult time because I've heard all about you. I've had dinner with you one night, so I know what you like, although there are another 12 people there, but that's a different matter. (laughs) What year were you born? Well, that's a bit of a controversial question. Controversial? Yes, that's probably the Why? most controversial you've, question you've you could ask. For- well, yeah, <laughs> I have actually. Well, if you've forgotten, you've forgotten. It's best yeah, to exactly. forget. Just live in the moment. <laughs> I wasn't there. Right? You weren't there. So you've forgotten. All right. Let's put it this way. Let's see. Do you remember Queen Elizabeth coming here in 1954? Oh, God, no. You don't? No. <laughs> Do you remember the Whitlam... Dismissal. Absolutely. And, uh, you remember? Oh, yeah. And, and what were you doing on that day? Ooh, oh, I was, um, well, uh, wagging an exam at Melbourne Uni, actually, um, because you know, there was you, a big you, protest. You, you know, you've just given us your age. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> Put out the line. You don't know what year I was in, though. <laughs> I reckon you would have been a 19... 56 person. Do you? Hmm. So I was at the Olympics. That's right. In utero. That's right. <laughs> it could, you could have been here a bit earlier, but I'm being polite. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's go back. So Stay what's polite. the first – well, we won't ask about your age. 
we do know that you've seen a lot of life. You did see, you were protesting at the, and you were at university in 75. So, yep, there's 56, 57. Now, <laughs> what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? The first thing I remember was I was um, going under the, uh, an anaesthetic, a noxious o- um, oxide, I think. Right, nitrous oxide, yeah. At the Caulfield Hospital, which mm. was just a, a big mansion, having my tonsils removed mm. and sitting up in, in bed afterwards having jelly and ice cream. That's a wonderful memory. And I, I do remember the mask coming down on my face. Mm. That's yeah. the first thing. That's the very first thing. I was probably two. You actually remember? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember what I was wearing. I had a little uh, white um, bed coat on with, you know, red spots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tell you, I'll, I'll go through the whole operation. I was. <laughs> you were awake. It didn't work. <laughs> you know, in some countries, they don't actually use um, anaesthetics to remove tonsils. Yeah. Well, well, see, I had nitrous oxide. Mm, so, mm, yeah, yeah, in those days, that's all they did. And that's I don't remember any pain. Well, and um, your parents, are they still alive? Mum's still alive. She's um, in care. She's uh, 92 and um, she's had a diagnosis of Alzheimer's for 13 years now. Mm-hmm. So, But she was you know, doing Tai Chi up, up until she was 87. So she's, she's pretty amazing. Um, she was um, really uh, very um, influential in my life. Uh, I was the eldest of six, and uh, when I went and did my HSC, she decided she'd drop everything, including the youngest kid, and um, go and do hers as well. So she was a beneficiary of that Whitlam year of free education for mature... All of us, all of us. All of us. We were all products of that period, but... uh, the great thing was, wasn't it, all those people who got that free education then became parliamentarians and that's joined right. the Labor Party and introduced fees. It was wonderful, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, that's right. That was a good one. Yeah. But, yeah, but my, and my father's passed away a couple of years ago, but he, right. he got to 92 and mm. was reading The Economist on his deathbed right? and uh, handing it to his daughter-in-law and saying, uh, give it back. <laughs> right. <laughs> and did they, were they born in Australia? Yes, both. both right. And both... On both sides, they came out in 1840. 1840. From yep. where? The old Dart? Uh, yes, from um, Ireland mm. uh, and from Scotland. From Scotland, right. And to Melbourne? Yes, yeah, to Melbourne. So, so five years after... They're Saturday. part of the original colonisation. Yes. Yeah, they're the first... Well, they're oh. called pioneers, but I mean, yeah. you know, or early settlers, but, you know, you, you can also call them unsettlers as yeah, well. Yeah, whatever. So, no, 1840... Wow. Well, they came here as adults or children, do you know? Uh, oh, my, my um, ancestors. Mm. Well, my um, great-great-great-grandfather, John Kidd, he came out as a young father with mm. two daughters right. and his wife and cousins. Mm. Um, and then on my father's side, uh, they were, uh, they'd were they been real estate agents in Dublin. And, of course, you know, Australia was, you know, no, Free no. land, mm, mm. <laughs> uh, apparently. So, uh, yeah, they came up with their families as well. So, you know, parents brought their kids out. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's amazing because I've never actually met a descendant of somebody who was here in 1840, 
because you would have, your family from both sides would have had front row seats at the hanging of Tanaminaway and Mulbohina and on the 20th of January 1842 because over half Melbourne's population turned out for the festival. That's what I think. That's mm. what I think, that they mm. would have been there. Mm. Um, and I've often, you know, I have thought, being a sort of writer by trade, of writing their story and including that event in, in their story because most certainly some of the family would have been present. You, you realise, like me, we're running out of time, so when are you going to put those thoughts on paper? Well, I've put a lot of them already. I mean, I've got a lot of the actual research mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Um, I started some time ago. In fact, I started researching my family history 37 years ago uh, when my first child was born. And um, I've researched every line. Um, and there are many lines, as you know, they get more and more the further out you go. Mm, mm. So, um, yeah, and the most recent line is, is probably the most interesting one. It, it's um, Anglo-Indian mm-hmm. line. So yeah. uh, any notable rogues? Well, what got me going actually on, on my family research was uh, a fam- family law that we were related to Captain Kidd. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and and I'd been a scriptwriter sort of in the few years prior, and uh, I started researching that as a um, for a script for a, um, a TV miniseries or a, or a movie, and um, yeah. So Captain Kidd, um, look, because I've done so much work on it, um, I've been able to get back many generations on one particular line. How far back? <laughs> Thirteen twenty six. Have you heard of Adam and Eve? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't heard of them. <laughs> There's one line that yeah. goes way, 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 way back. How far? Come oh, on, come look, on, come on. Serious. BC. How far? BC. How far BC? BC. 300 years BC. 300 years BC. So obviously before Roman Con- And this is in Ireland? No, no. That, well, it's Europe, you know. And Europe itself, yeah, so, the Druids and all that, the Celts and all that. Well, Marcus Aurelius you might have heard of. Oh, Marcus. Are you suggesting you're descendant from Marcus Aurelius? Well, if I showed you what they have <laughs> on Family Search, yes. yes. <laughs> well, I think that explains your uh, <laughs> bloodthirstiness, I think, you know. Out of curiosity, how do you, how do, you do that? Okay, so, well, you've got to... Excuse me. Kelly, she's going to... I have to No, ask. no, but, but, but it's going to take two hours yes, just to tell exactly. us. a short <laughs> summary. You, uh, in a general sense, how do you... Is it all through um Well, like it takes websites. 37 years. <laughs> through so, websites. Yeah, websites. But um, look, if you go back 10 generations, everyone is related. Yeah. 10 generations? 10. So, so they're relatives, you and me? Well, no, if you... Uh, well, everyone's related, of course. Mm. But if you go back 10 generations, you know, you get um, common... It, it starts the the family tree goes out and then it starts coming in mm-hmm. because everyone starts to be related. Right. So while I claim to be um, the great 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 whatever infinity of <laughs> Marcus Aurelius, um, you probably are too, and and you are too, Kelly, because mm. you know when you go that back that far, everyone is related. Mm. So this obsession started before the internet. So it must have been very difficult. I used to go. I used to leave my baby with mum. And I uh, just for a break, and I'd go into Swanson Street on the train, and um, the Victorian Genealogical Society was based up there in Swanson Street, 
and I'd go up the stairs and start going through the microfish. Um, it was the Mormons, you know, who really, you know, had had all the records at that stage. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'd, you know, spend a few hours and um, start piecing it together. But that's that's how it began. Can I ask you a more personal question than the year you were born? Are you destined, is your family destined to go to heaven? That, well, that's what the Mormons do it for, isn't it? Oh, I see. Right. <laughs> Uh, well, if there is a heaven, I <laughs> hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you hope so. Yeah. Well, that's the only reason they collect all the information, you realise that. There's only the chosen few that will see the rupture. Rapture, I should say, not the rupture. I should rupture them. The rapture, you know. Well, the great thing about, about what they've done is mm. that it's all free. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, whereas if you, if you go through Ancestry.com, yeah. .com is a .com and, and you pay, you know, it costs. Well, they used to own it, but they sold it. They were smart. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, for example, um, these days, if you, uh, one of the things I'm I'm really keen to see is is the mm. release of uh, family records to be free mm. from uh, births, deaths, and marriages in Victoria the right. registry. Yeah, that's if you can actually access anything these days. It's impossible. I remember I used to go. I used to go down there and. The interesting, you know, characters from the eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, and I'd go and ask for their death certificate or birth certificate, and you get it in the same day. These days, it's just months. months. Well, it's it's digital. You can, mm. but it does cost. You see, it's like um, mm. I think it's about seventeen dollars just to get the basic um, copy of the certificate. Which, mm. to me, I think you know everyone's entitled to their identity. They're really your identity records. Yeah, right. Let's get back to something more interesting than your family, all right? <laughs> 37 years of uh, history, <laughs> you know, a book in the offering or maybe a series of books. Where did you go to primary school? Star of the Sea. Convent. I know, Star of the Sea. Convent. Convent. Down there near Mentone or was it further Garden down vale. the park? Garden Vale. The Garden Vale one. Yes. Oh, they don't have a campus there anymore, do they? Oh, yes. It's still a garden vibe? Oh, yes. It's oh. getting bigger than Ben Hur. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, Jermaine Greer's old school. Mm. So, mm. Um, yeah, I was just thinking, coming along here today, that uh, the same nuns that taught Jermaine taught, taught me. Yeah, and mm. did they impart the same um, rebellion in you? Of course. The Irish Catholic nuns, very progressive um, presentation convert, started up in order to educate Irish girls. Yeah, they're a very, very, very progressive group. Right. And, um, I mean, you know, when I was at school, um, because, you know, they were they were sort of covered in all this um, sort of, I guess, Middle Eastern-looking uh, gear, everything was covered. You couldn't see their breasts, you couldn't see their waist or legs. You know, I assumed they were kind of like men. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because you couldn't see their hair either. No, that's right. You could see their eyes, but... Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could well, feel a whack. You could? You could. Did you get many whacks? No, I only got one. What did you do? Come on, you can tell us. Nobody I, listens to this well, program. Probably, oh, I, I, <laughs> so you say. But, um, look, uh, I can't remember. You but can't remember? It was probably writing notes or talking. Yeah. I mean, what can you do when you're, th- when you're in grade three, you know? Oh, so... Um, but look, they were really overwrought. We had a hundred in in our class. Yeah, that's normal in those days, and, yeah. especially the Catholic schools. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So she had no help, and no. Um, you know, I I I um, 
you know, I think very fondly of, of that particular nun. Mm. Um, but I did tell her um, in later years that I did remember she'd whacked me and she, she was shocked, you know, because, you know, times changed and values changed and those mm. sorts of... So how did that reunion come about? Oh, with the nun? Mm. Oh, uh, well, I was popping into the, the school for some reason um, and I saw her gardening and mm-hmm. um, I went over and, and I... Don't be rude. I recognised her and, and I, you know, and I was so happy to see her. I used to yeah. think of her as my mum because mm. I probably saw her more than I did my mum who had six kids. Mm. Yeah. So did you finish your 12 years there? Or did I you... did. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, obviously you graduated. I did. With I, good marks. Well, marks good enough to get me into Melbourne Uni Arts. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, I I nearly flunked my first year. What, too many boys and whiskey? No, no. no. I, I actually, I had an eating disorder, right. Joe. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, with that comes um, some mental health issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, was maybe perhaps I was lacking in... Motivation, but I also didn't come from a big private school, and I wasn't, you know, I had mates from right. my school there, but we were just a disparate group. Mm. I didn't feel very connected, I think, to the to the oh. university, yeah. and um, and so I decided to do nursing. Mm. You um, may have, you may have been anemic or on top of all that, so yeah. Well, I I wasn't well, and I, yeah. I wasn't well, and and I um so I got into Royal Melbourne uh, mm-hmm. as a nurse. And um, I had a, you know, supposed to turn up, I think, at, on the 8th of February at 8 o'clock. And, God, it was too early, too early for me. So <laughs> that was the end of that. That was the end of your nursing career. <laughs> yeah. So you went back to Melbourne Uni yes. as a student. Yes, I did. Did you finish your arts degree? I did, I did. I did a pure politics honours degree. Why politics honours? I was passionate about politics. So it's was, the era, wasn't it? It was the era. Think about it. Well, tell, us, tell the listeners what was going on when you were a young woman at university. Well, um, yeah, when I was at uni, we, you know, we went through the constitutional crisis, which, which really um, lasted uh, three years. Mm, and right. um, it was, you know, that was the thing that was, was really getting my blood boiling, you know. And um, I think even before that, for Whitlam's campaign in 72, my father took me to the launch of the ALP campaign. And, you know, it was... Once you're in that kind of campaign room, it's um, very intox- you know, intoxicating. Yeah. And um, but look, the it just seemed to me the most interesting thing to do um, at uni. So when you finished, did you have the problem that all political graduates, arts graduates, have no job. No, no, no. because I I um, I'd been told by one of the the nuns when I was very young that I would be a journalist. All right, yeah. And um, and so I I had a goal, and and it seemed to keep matching up with my English skills and um, political interests. And so um, in my final year, I, I chose a, a media related subject to right. do my thesis on. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's only a phone. It's all right. Um, this is uh, Radical Australia. We're interviewing Sally Gibson, and obviously. She forgot to turn off her phone, but we all do that. I've done it many times. Isn't that right, Kelly? That's right. So she shouldn't be embarrassed about bringing her phone into the studio and not turning it off. Oh, oh, here we go. go. <laughs> <laughs> She's... 
Somebody's ringing up to complain already, Sally. <laughs> They're ringing up to complain. Oh, don't worry about it. Give it to Kelly. She'll put it. I'll in. fix it up. She'll fix it up. She's young. Oh yeah, I thought she's I, young. I, thought I, had it. I did have it turned to silence. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, there you go. yeah. Oh, she's good. young. She's intelligent. She, live. You know, she's yeah. Yeah, totally live. That's the beauty, isn't it? Isn't it? You isn't couldn't it? plan yeah. that. This That's is not. Right. The, this is not the government girls at ABC. Exactly. This is three CR. Exactly. So, how did this journalistic career get go? Well, uh, so I applied for cadetships at you know the Herald and Weekly Times and mm. um, at the Age as you yep. do, and yeah. um, I got an interview for both. Um, so the age interview was very interesting because um, at the time I was married and I foolishly made the mistake of putting, Telling them. Mm. putting that on my application. And um, the editor at the time um, called me into his office and he said, look, you know, um, you know I think you, your resume looks really good, um, but I see you're married. And I said, yes, but so what kind of thing? And he said, well, do you understand that um, you wouldn't be able to leave the office sometimes until seven and your husband will be expecting his dinner on the table? What? I like that. That's the type of bloke I like. He put you in your place, didn't he, you young whippersnapper? And I, what he didn't know was that my husband was actually a feminist at the right, time. Right, right. And his mother had been a journalist. Right. And, you know, that was part of my, my mm. influence mm. and... Um, I spent an hour trying to explain to him, no, that we actually go out for dinner every night because he's, he's got a good job and, um, yeah. you know, it's totally irrelevant. But yeah. it, it didn't it, sink through. It didn't no. sink. So you took, took up cadetship with the Heron Weekly Times? I did. I did, mm. yeah. And, and how did you find your time there? Well, that was pretty interesting because in those days um, graduate cadets were only just a mm. thing mm. And, um, uh, and women were only just beginning to yep. enter the, the industry. So uh, it was a bit of a shock because um, I just finished this complicated thesis, which I can't even understand these days. And um, and suddenly I was having to write, you know, cat up a tree stories, yeah, <laughs> picture yeah. stories. Oh, they're very important, cat up a tree stories. Yeah. Actually, um, uh, uh, John Sylvester helped me with my first story mm, mm, um, because mm. I was sort of, how do you write a, yeah, how do you write yeah. a story? Who's that? Silva. She, um, she's got no idea. Yeah. She's young. Very, very yeah. famous crime yeah. reporter. Exactly. Silva. But there was one more famous crime reporter on the Herald and Weekly Times. Russell Tom, Robinson. Tom Pryor. Tom Pryor, yeah. I worked yeah. for Tom Pryor. Yeah, because I interviewed Tom in uh, here at 3CR in the late 70s. Yeah, because we, we became good mates. Yeah, Tom was nice. Tom was yeah. a nice fellow. Um, yeah. But my cousin was there as well. He yeah. he was working there, and yeah. oh, we had a great time. It was just fun. Yeah, yeah. He'd go out. He said Tom Pryor when we interviewed him. He said, "I remember this." He said, "He's when I first started. He said I was thirteen, and my job was to go into a grieving family's home and wander around while the senior journalist spoke to the grieving family whose son had been stabbed fifteen times or daughter raped and stabbed to find a picture which I would steal." And then take to the Herald Sun, and that will be published. Okay, <laughs> that, that was the. <laughs> that's how Tom started his career. Yeah, yes. there's a few. Yeah, there's all that time. And then you'd uh, a lot of them would go down to the pub at ten o'clock, 
and get their stories at the pub, as you would with the waterside workers and all that. Yeah. Well, the, the Phoenix Hotel was across mm. the road, and yeah. they had an extension phone on the on the bar yeah. uh, that the you know the chief of staff could call people back to the <laughs> office. <laughs> true, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Now you just used the T word then. What was that? Thesis. Yes. I've oh, got this. Gosh. I've got this green <laughs> book here by Sally Gibson, and I've got to put my glasses on, you know, these days. I've we love it when guests bring in artefacts. <laughs> well, this is more than an artefact. This is a this is historical record. 31st of March, 1980, not 1880s, as I was about to say. Now, what's all this about, Sally? Why don't you bring it here into 3CR? What's the title? No, I can't know. It says University of Melbourne, Faculty of Arts, Department of Political Sciences, Bachelor of Arts, Honours Thesis, Access to the Mass Media, Theory and Practice, presented by Sally Gibson. What's it got to do with us? Well, it's a special case study on 3CR. You're kidding. No. Bloody Juliet Fox. (laughs) She's been here for over two decades, does a doctorate. And claim she's the first one. When I mentioned <laughs> when I met you a few months ago, and I mentioned it to her, she was she'd love to meet you, yeah, Sally. Yeah, and no, I'd love to meet her too. Yeah, but, amazing. Um, so, what did, how did you get involved with three CR in these very early stages? Well, I was again political. It was a political thing because public broadcasting had just come in, mm-hmm. and it was um, it was the first station, and it was it was. Um, a promise of, of greater democracy and access for the people to the airwaves. Um, and uh, I thought that seemed incredibly exciting. There wasn't any internet, mm. you know, and, um, and it, was, it was like a new uh, – promise of a new world, really. And so that's – 3CR was it. And um, mm. so uh, I was fascinated in the whole topic of – public broadcasting and ownership of the airwaves and who owns them and who should get a hold of them. Well, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Here you are working for the most corporatised segment of the media in Australia and here you are at 3CR at exactly the same time. So who thought you were a spy? 3CR or the Herald Weekly Times? Oh, no, no. No, no, I wasn't, I wasn't working as a journalist when I did the thesis. Oh, right. Yeah. So I did the thesis to help me get a cadetship, you know. To oh, show this was before was... you became a journalist? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, it's an it's yeah. undergraduate thesis. And what do you mean you can't understand it? Well, it was based in very deep theory, you know, mm. communication theory at mm. the time. And uh, and I opened a page recently when I refound it. I couldn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be in that headspace, don't you, at the time. You get really into all those uh, I, yeah, I have a capacity to go right down rabbit holes, and I, I think there were well, about thirty-seven years following your yeah, family exactly, history. To, exactly, oh, you know, exactly. Marcus Aurelius. Exactly. So, obviously, we wouldn't have been here at Twenty-One Smith Street. Were you down at, in Malvern or at Twenty Cromwell Street? Cromwell Street. Yeah, what was that like? Much the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was more dingy. Come on, just a tad more oh, dingy. There's a bit Not more. Much more. Oh, there's a bit more. Well, there's no sunlight in here, but that was so dingy and crowded, and I've, I remember. But no one knew what a radio station was in those days. No, you know, no, no. one went to radio stations. You, you, you realise we may have rubbed shoulders at Twenty Cromwell Street. Could have done. Could yeah, have done. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, 
But look, I didn't work at the station because I was studying, and um, but I, you know, I was in and out because I needed to interview people and get mm. materials and mm. some. But I, I went as far as going to the states, uh, getting material from the right, states because right. it was based on a station in the states. Yeah, I think well, it was called Pacific Radio. Yeah, that's right. It would be Pacific Radio. Look, I think p- people would be interested to know that community radio in Australia is a byproduct of that evil Whitlam-led Labor government. And it was actually instituted, as you said, to break the monopoly, the legacy media. It, wasn't, it was the media in those days had on discussion and communication. It was, um, it was a, a revolutionary um, activity. It was incredible. The, it was mm. like the internet, you know, the same type of mm. impact on the community as the internet has been mm. in those days. The single most important film on the Aboriginal political struggle in the last 50 years. Ningla Anna is the inside story of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy, a gripping first-hand account of an iconic protest action and the young radicals who took control and demanded justice. Rediscover this iconic documentary and a momentous period for First Nations activism in this brand new restoration. Screening Cinema Nova, Carlton, from Friday the 30th of September to Sunday the 2nd of October. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. This program is streaming on 3cr.org. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So how long did you last at the uh, Herald and Weekly Times? I lasted until I um, failed to get my 80 words per minute shorthand, in which case I got an offer to go to the age. Oh, they, they didn't worry about you being married and not having dinner ready for not your husband? Not by then, no. No, no the things have changed, had they? Well, I've the shown what I could do, you oh, know. I mean, oh, you know. Oh, right. So you were headhunted? I was headhunted, yes, oh. yes, by Peter Smark. Right, right. Yeah, he, he, um, I joined a team of what they called special writers. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenny Byrne was part of that. Um, and uh, um, mm, few others whose names escape me now. It's all right. We all have the same problem. Yes, at this age, yes. You know. So, um, yeah, so, uh, but I was I was sort of part of that little group. I was the youngest and had a very free hand to write, mm. write about whatever I want to write about in a, in a sort of writerly way. Yeah, it was quite an interesting period. You're quite right because you could ring up somebody at the age and they do a story for you. Today it's just impossible. You, did, you know, they do a story, they get to know you, they, they trusted you and... Bingo, you know. I was given um, like a week to work on a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I was given, you know, they might get the idea from a press release, mm-hmm. but just an idea off the press release and they'd say, see what you can find. Mm-hmm. And off I'd go. And yeah. I had a whole week to go anywhere and research whatever I wanted to pull it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. were, it was terrific because it was um, how you got um, really interesting stories up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you get home before seven so you could prepare your husband's dinner? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I no, I was a terrible right? cook. I couldn't cook for uh, No, no, we 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 had enough money to go out for dinner every night. Oh, that's, that's in those good. days. It, yeah. You could, you could. So how long did that last? Oh, well that lasted a year and then again I was wanting to go to Parliament. 
um, to be a um, political correspondent, but still mm. women were not routinely sent to Parliament. And I was very itchy, and um, I wrote an article in The Age about... was. I sat in a brothel for a week and, mm-hmm. and wrote about the experience of, for the girls and the mm-hmm. uh, one girl I followed. And I wrote it like a play. Mm-hmm. And um, George Miller from Kennedy Miller um, saw it and he contacted me and he, he said, do you want to write the synopsis of the dismissal? Oh, at those, in those days it was called The Sacking of the Whitlam Government. Yep. We're thinking of doing a miniseries on that topic. And I said, yep. <laughs> Why not? Exactly. Why not? <laughs> So I took three weeks' uh, leave and wrote up that synopsis, which was put to Network 10, Channel 10 in those days. And uh, after a lot of debate, um, they accepted that. And then uh, the opportunity came to go to Sydney and do further work on it. And I took, um, I resigned from the age mm-hmm. and uh, went up and, and worked on that project intensively for eight months. Right, and then did you come back to Melbourne? Or, no, uh, no. Then I I worked. Then I from that that led to a job as arts editor at the National Times mm-hmm. under Brian Tui. Yep. And then uh, another project came up with Kennedy Miller, which was the Cowra Breakout. Um, That's a fascinating story, which most people have re forgotten. Yes, fascinating. It is fascinating, and and we went to Japan and interviewed all the POWs, Survivor. yeah, the all survivors. the survivors. Yeah, it was which, quite an extraordinary court, extraordinary escape. Remember the, remember the very famous saying of the lead officer who led the mass escape when he said, it's your privilege to die like the carp. And there's a book exactly called that, Die yeah, like, like the, the Carp. Like the Carp, yep, yep. Yep, very well remembered. So I, don't think, I don't think Kelly knows no, anything no, about this. I don't this. know what no. you're talking about. Exactly. Can you enlighten me? I'll let, I'll let the expert enlighten you. <laughs> oh, well, it was the story was... Um, during the war, uh, Japanese uh, soldiers were that were captured by the Australians in Papua New Guinea were uh, uh, interned in a camp in country New South Wales in a town called Cowra. And um, there were about a thousand there. And for a Japanese to be uh, captured was, uh, you know, the, the worst thing possible. The, the dishonour was intolerable. Um, or it was supposed to be intolerable. They probably, I think, enjoyed you know having regular food because they weren't um, mm. they weren't supplied in in New Guinea with food. They had to find their own food off the land. So when they were interned, I think they were mostly very happy there. But the leaders whipped them up and um, and uh, really forced them um, to break out of the. Yep. the the prison, mm. and... Um, there was an Australian machine gun nest at the top, which was actually pointed at the entrance, and they just fired and fired and fired and fired, and body piled on body. Over, I think over 250 died, and many others escaped, but they were all re-interned. That's exactly right. Yeah, and if you go to Cara now, Kelly, and listeners, young people out there who don't know your history, there's a big park, Memorial Park, and there's a great relationship now between Japan and Kara. Now mm. there is, yes. Mm. Fascinating. So, yeah. How did you get involved in that? Well, that was another Kennedy Miller production. Right. So yeah. they had two, two going. One was Bodyline, and one was the Kara Breakout. This is what I understand. It's 2022, right? And we've got Farmer Wants a Wife, Big Brother, 
What's happened to all these wonderful productions regarding pivotal moments in Australian history and their effect on, on, on the present? Well, today, interestingly, someone called, and I'm not sure who made the call, but they called for Australian content in um, Netflix and Stan and all those mm. sorts of services, and I think mm. that that's really, really important. I mean, if you look at on free-to-air TV at any, any day, most shows are, are from America. Or, or they're clones, which they've paid a fee for to repeat here with an Australian cast, which you don't pay. You know, like uh, uh, well, you know, the cooking shows, you don't pay the contestants. The, the 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 block, you don't pay the contestants. Big Brother, you don't pay the contestants. Cheap, trashy crap. And there's there's so many stories. I mean, we've mm. got the most incredible. Oh. Story um, mm. Bible really of, oh, of extraordinary. Uh, the things that have happened in this country. Mm. I mean, fortunately, you know some of the um, the stories of First Nations are, are coming out. Yeah, that's that's terrific. Mm. Um, and um, uh, you know there has been some good period stuff, but um, but the true stories to me are the best stories because you really can't do better than. Well, if you, re- if you research Australian history, pre- and post-colonial, you will find stories which rival any fiction. I mean, when I looked at the Tanamanue Mubohina story, you know, these five human beings out there involved in this uh, struggle, and Traganini and Mubohina were lovers, um... Uh, Tanaminawe and Planabina were man and wife married in a Christian church. It's love, war. You never. See, I'd love to see that. I tried to get some people interested who had money, but nobody's really interested in doing Australian stories anymore. It's know? just sitting there for the waiting, isn't it? And, yeah. um, just pluck them anywhere you like. Anywhere you like. And uh, another good story I really like is the story of the parliamentary mace. Yes. <laughs> Do you know about the parliamentary mace story, Kelly? Well, they used to say it was used for illicit sexual activities. The parliamentary mace disappeared from the Victorian parliament. Mace, mace? What do we mean, mace? Oh, could you explain? A mace is like a hammer. It's like a weapon. It's like a dildo, all right? Okay. And they used to go across. You've got to remember that the Victorian parliament was right next to the brothel heartland of Melbourne because 10 to 15% of women were involved in prostitution because that's the only way they could survive in Melbourne at that particular point in time. There's a big story. Remember when I took you to the, the women's hospital? Yes. And I explained Jesse McPherson. Jesse McPherson, yes. the Penny campaign. Yes. Well, when, the story is that they used to have a tunnel. I don't know if that's true or not. And they'd go down to the brothels, right? These are the parliamentarians. And one of the high jinks, they lost the mace in the brothel. What was the mace ordinarily used for? Oh, it's to open Parliament and that type of stuff. Ceremonial yeah. um, mm. brass, mm. brass or gold, or yeah, probably yeah. gold. Yeah, um, that sits across the parliamentary table. Oh, I know that. You know mm. what? You know that. Yeah. Why would they take it to the brothel? Uh, excuse me, Kelly. It's please. too big to be a sex you, you, toy. You have no idea, Kelly. It's live radio. <laughs> this is, you have no idea, Kelly. And you thought you were a, a woman of the world. I can't believe Did this. Did I? <laughs> I can't believe this. Can you believe this, Sally? With this pro- you started it. You started it. Oh, no, no, no. Sally brought up the Sally, mace. Sally started it. Don't look at me. Sally but, but I know the story. <laughs> all right. As, as an amateur historian, I know all these little stories. 
All right, here's a, here's a good one for you. Let's see how good you are, Sally. How long have you been in Melbourne for? <laughs> this is a trick question. No, 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 I'm going to ask you a trick question. How long have I been in Melbourne? All my life. All right. Do you know... Most of my life. Do you know there's a little laneway in Melbourne named after a famous Melbourne anarchist? Tell in, me. In Carlton, where obviously you've been there every day with your various <laughs> friends having... Dinners, Chummy Lane, oh, named yeah. after Chummy Fleming. Oh, okay. Right next to uh, the park there, you know, at the Ligon Street, so the the the, the Ligon. Is it Victoria. Lincoln? Lincoln, Lincoln Square? Square? Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. There's a lane there called Chummy Lane Didn't behind Seven Eleven, and that was named after Chummy Fleming. I've been working across the road Have you? for seventeen years. <laughs> I used to get my. Banana and coffee from that Seven Eleven. I had no idea. All you had to do was walk around the back and you see chummy place. What's wrong with you, woman? So what were you doing for 17 years across the road from the Seven Eleven in Ligon Street? I was working at the public advocate's office. Doing what? I was um, communications manager there. What does that mean? It uh, means that you manage, the, you try and uh, raise the issues uh, related to the office in the in the media, you do the annual reports, you um, do all the, all the brochures and booklets and report, you know, publish all the reports and promote them. Mm-hmm. So, so what is the public advocate? The public advocate is a statutory body, so that means it's created under law in Victoria. Um, in 1986, it, it came about when um, all the institutions for people with disability were closed and people found themselves basically out in the street. So guardianship, a guardianship um, office was created to, to provide guardianship for these people mm. who, who needed it, and many did. And, um, and so essentially uh, these days it's, it's called a safeguarding yep. um, um, organisation for all Victorians with a disability or a mental illness. That's right, yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, I remember that period quite clearly when we all jumped up and down, when the institutions were closed. La Rundle, they were all closed. The doors were opened and we said, there, there is the city. Go forth and live your lives. No support, no housing, no money. Just open the doors, close the institutions because it's cheap, cheaper for you to go out and be looked after in the community. Kennett's great legacy to the world. But there were no community um, houses. Nope. So it was nothing. And so many ended up in jail and, and, mm. Um, mm. Uh, and you know, and many are back in, in, in um, care homes. Or, That's right. But um, a, lot many, of folk, a lot of folks are homeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, look, it was a disaster and it's... Um, you know, so I guess my the organisation I work for sort of was um, busy, you know, trying to deal with the consequence of that. Really, that's right. You know, protect people. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that was that was a um, really uh, fascinating um, period of of my employment in public service. Mm. But I, I have worked in every portfolio area of the service over like my what? career. Like what? Okay, so, um, well, environment. I worked mm-hmm. in the EPA for three years. Right. Um, I worked um, as a press secretary for uh, ministers uh, in the Brax government mm-hmm. um, in agriculture, Aboriginal affairs, women's affairs and environment. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Docklands Project, I was there for three years. 
um, as the PR Director and Government Relations Director, and in education, infrastructure, um, and then, you know, I, I finished in finished my career in the public service in the disability field. Right. Was it a waste Justice. of Justice. Was it a waste of time? What? Your career. No, no. It was I, I, I really enjoyed my career. I'm sure you enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But oh, do, no. do, do you think it had any impact? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us a few important. Okay, so, um, well, the, I, the last 17 years I was um, working uh, when I first arrived, um, uh, given my experience in, in, uh, in the government, um, I, I had resolved earlier than that that it's important to always tell the truth you know, to the media about what's happening and, and for organisations to be... You, you wouldn't have been very useful during the COVID-19 pandemic, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to think, now, how would I? <laughs> but, but, I mean, as soon as you do tell the truth, it, yeah. it identifies that there is a problem mm. and then um, solutions, uh, you know, in the media, especially in the mm. media, and then solutions come in uh, from everywhere yeah. to resolve it because I think most people don't know what's going on um, in so closed environments where, for example, people with disability live or pr- including prisons as well and, um, and mental health facilities, people don't know. And when they find out, they're horrified. That's right. They're horrified. Horrified. Mm. And, then, uh, and then it's incumbent on the government to find a, find a way to fix it because people... Um, want something done. ...really mm. want something done. Do you think over time, since we've entered the you know this great century the 21st century do you think there's less ability to tell the truth in 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 people who find themselves in your position absolutely oh no it's terrible mm. um you know but you, you shouldn't be frightened of the truth the truth will set you free, free. <laughs> <laughs> heard that somewhere before whoops um but yeah, no, it is it is true because you know I mean if you want your society to function, you have to be able to identify you know where the problems are that need fixing, and you can't do that unless you tell the truth. Are there people now in government positions to keep people like you sidelined and silent? Oh well, I worked in a statutory body which mm, has a lot, lot of independence, yeah. but mm. uh, there's a lot of pressure on absolutely uh, throughout throughout government. Because in the departments, the departments are, are the agents of the minister. Their job is to implement the government's policy. Um, they're not allowed, public servants aren't allowed to speak. Mm-hmm. It's they're gagged from speaking publicly. That's right. And um, you know, one uh, I think at the moment there's uh, well, we're moving into caretaker caretaker period before the election, but it's still nearly two months away. And already, at least three or four weeks ago. All the notices went out to public servants to, you know, be reminded of their responsibilities and including, you know, that they can't speak. So, yeah, things are very t- are tightening up a lot. And I think part of that, I think, is uh, the mass media that um, uh, sort of uh, frightens frightens them, you know. But, you know, it's like a um, – uh, what would you say? It's almost a um, uh, monkey grip sort of situation. Right, yep, yep. You know, you the difficult to break. Mm. People get scared. A lot of people working in the public service uh, have a vulnerability of one sort or another. I mean, being a carer yes. is a vulnerability. Mm. Um, have, a lot of people have a disability, mm. mental illness, 
mums, um, you know, mums and dads with young kids, you know, that's a vulnerability in the workplace. So, you know, people are, are frightened, you know, of, you know, no one wants to lose their job. And, and if so. you do and you're a public servant, it's, you won't get reappointed in any public service job, would you? No. no. Well, no. Well, it depends if it got out or, or what right. happened. But, yeah. um, look, it's, it's, it's very um, – it's problematic, put it that mm. way. All right. Let's move the clock forward. Obviously, you are retired and obviously – you're at, no, let's, don't shake your head at me, woman. You're retired and you're waiting for a nursing home bed. Is that correct, or have you got, or have you got plans? Um, well, yes, I, I actually do. Yeah, I thought about that option, but yeah, I, I, then I thought, <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. So well, tell us your devious plans. Okay. So, uh, well, it was a bit of a perfect storm for me. Everything came together and, and something I'd been thinking about for a long time, uh, to stand uh, as a candidate in, in a uh, federal state election. The opportunity presented itself um, in the sense that I was free to do that. Um, so public I'd... servants can't stand unless they resign. Yes, that's right. But so now you've got the. Are you going to stand in the state election? Yes, yes. Hmm. What, what I electorate? I think you are too, aren't you, Joe? <laughs> well, no, look, this is about you. It's not about me. I'll tell you about it another day. This is all about you. Um, what electorate? Seat of Brighton. Very nice. And Where as I grew an, up. As, yeah. an, as an independent? As an independent, yeah. Now, that's. Who's the gentleman who's next to you, the Liberal Party? Bro? James Newbury is the that's sitting right. member? That's right. Yeah. This, in, in, in Brighton. Brighton. Right. In the seat of Brighton. So are you standing as an independent? Yes. Right. And why do you want to stand in the seat of Brighton? Well, it's a, it's, I've grown up in, in yep. that area. Yep. It's, I'm very, very familiar with it. Um, uh, it's a close, close seat. There's mm-hmm. only 1,000 votes between Labor and Liberal at the last election. Uh, I've got the experience. Um, I think I've, I, I know how to affect change mm-hmm. at, at working in government. And I think there's a lot of change needed. Um, I'm particularly focused on um, intercepting the um, wholesale uh, corruption of our whole system um, through no one's fault but ours. I mean, we're just not looking. Mm-hmm. We're not watching. We're trusting that all our money's going to be spent the way it should be. But, you know, it, it doesn't It doesn't happen. So I have um, have some ideas about how that mm. can be intercepted. Mm-hmm. and um, practical ideas that uh, work overseas. And, uh, and so that's, a, that's somewhat of a passion. I've worked, um, I've been a delegate to the UN Climate Change Conference a couple of times, and um, that is, that is a, something, of course, of great uh, importance in that area and any Bayside suburbs, of course. It's um, mm-hmm. critical. The, you know, the water is rising um, the oceans are swelling, um, mm. inundation is... What do you think of that wonderful piece of legislation that's recently been passed, supposedly to stop corrupting the electoral system, where candidates like yourself are very limited in terms of the financial contributions that can be made to your campaign, a limit of 4850 per individual over a four-year period. That's a knockout blow for the teals, isn't it? 
It's a knockout blow for, for independence. And mm. I mean, Brighton used to be independent. I mean, everyone used to be an independent before mm. parties. Um, yeah. 18, uh, 1943, there was the last independent for mm. Brighton. Mm. But yeah, the, the whole um, it, donations are, be, are a big, big factor in the corruption of the system. Um, where uh, companies or, or big trade unions um, make big donations, it's like a signal to the government that they'll work in with them, they'll do deals with them, they'll mm. uh, play the play ball with them, and um, but they they corrupt the system. And you know, I was researching this and uh, found out that the word corruption is comes from. Uh, Latin core, which means together, and rumpere, which means to break. So it's people breaking something together. Um, and, you know, we've got a broken democratic system, absolutely. And mm. I see that, you know, as I go around, people are really, they're either incredibly apathetic, incredibly cynical, or now quite in despair about the whole situation. I see. I've never seen so much resignation in the community. People are resigned to the fact that nothing will ever change irrespective, and that's very dangerous. Well, I believe, yeah, there's a book called The Game of Mates uh, by yes, a research yes. economist, and, mm. and they say it's, it's got a lot worse in the last five years, mm. um, partly because we've been distracted by COVID, celebrity culture, yeah. TikTok, yeah. So h- how are you going to conduct your campaign? Well, I'm conducting it um, I'm, as I go, really, and, and, and I'm being guided by experienced people who are more experienced than me in campaigns, political campaigns. And um, uh, I'm, I'm actually, in a sense, people are driving it for me. You know, I'm being contacted by mm-hmm. local organisations that... that um, need some help now or, or want to know my position on things. Um, it's sort of, uh, it's an organic process, I think, a campaign. And you, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, MPs contact you as well and want to know who you are and what you're about and whether or not mm. there's any synergies and so on. Mm. Um, I attend uh, farmers markets. Um, you get your core flutes up on... Um, houses and so forth. You uh, develop a flyer. It's a, it's an expensive exercise. Very it's, expensive. Very it's expensive. It's about twenty grand. That's right. It's very expensive. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's an investment, and you, you know, really, you have to su- decide for yourself if if the um, investment is worth it for you. Um, for me, I've made that decision, and. Um, I'm thrilled that I that I have, and I'm. It's been a, a fascinating process. Has anybody else put up their hand in in Brighton? Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, there's a Greens candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Labor candidate. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, another uh, a Teal independent, mm-hmm. and uh, the and the sitting candidate, and um, there some other parties might might put up candidates mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as well. So it'll be very heavily fought. It is being heavily fought. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of money coming from the big parties, donors. Yeah, well, the thing is, although they put in these donation laws, the the Labor, Liberal, Nationals and the Greens are ahead because they've got a war chest from the last election because they got $19 million, the Labor Party got, the Liberal Nationals, $16 million, the Greens, 
$3 million because they get $6 per vote. You as an independent are limited in the amount of money you can actually collect from an individual to $4,150. And uh, this is, I think this is diabolical. It's a diabolical, it really is a diabolical yeah. situation. Yeah. And, and, you know, I may not have time to talk about it um, during this campaign, but certainly afterwards I will definitely be trying to do something about mm. the disadvantage that indiv- mm. um, independents have vis-a-vis yeah. parties. And this has been through legislation. We saw the the number of uh, electors jump from 500 to 2,000 at the federal level to register a political party, you know, f- what, four months before the election? It's just uh, over and over again. Now, the important bit. If people live in Brighton, the electorate, which covers what suburbs? Elwood, Brighton and Hampton. Right. And they wish to talk to you yes. or assist you? Yes. How do they go about it? They can call me on my mobile. Which is, what's the number? 0409 197. Seven one seven. Once again, slowly. Zero four zero nine, one nine seven, seven one seven. I'm very happy to take a call and chat to people. I really want to talk to uh, people, and I want to know what what was troubling them. I mean, recently I, I walked, uh, handed out at a farmers market in in Church Street, Brighton, and I was talking to a woman. And I said, oh, how do you feel about things? And she put her head in her hands. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that really affected mm. me. Is there a website? There is a website, um, sallygibson.com.au. And that's G... G-I-B-S-O-N. And Sally? S-A-L-L-Y. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can send me an email at sally at sallygibson.com.au. Well, it's a very difficult path you are traversing there'll be a lot of people putting pressure on you and i wish you all the best thank and that's you, all i can do i'm not standing in and your good electric. on you sally good on you yeah. thank you kelly thank yeah. you very much yeah. no i'm really I've, i'm partly doing mm. it to show um you know women in my in my life and yes. that that you can do that. and other right. not just women but anyone can do this yeah. and um mm. i'll be very very happily mentor others to do it if they would like Wonderful. Mm. He'd be a great mentor. Thank mm. you. Can I ask you one last question? Mm. Very serious question. <laughs> Everywhere I've seen Liberal Party women candidates, they're blonde. Is the Liberal Party candidate in Brighton blonde? Of course. <laughs> no, 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 sorry. There's, no, it's a male. It's a male. It's a male. He's yeah. not blonde. No. no. <laughs> it's just amazing. I cannot – I do a lot of travelling – in the country, and I just cannot believe it. They're all bloody blondes, middle-aged yeah. blondes. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I've got anything against middle-aged blondes, but I just thought it was... I didn't think the majority of people were middle-aged blondes. Look, all the best, Sally. Thank you so and, much. And congratulations on the courage of standing. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Nice to talk. <laughs> Cup, we, 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.